eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's talk mess prospects with an absolute expert. Uh, I followed this man on Twitter for many, many years. He's the host of the wildly popular Mets pod and works for SNY, Joe DeMeo. Joe, thank you very much for coming on the Rico. I appreciate it. You got it, Evan. Happy to be here. All right, I got a lot of questions. Let's start off right. with, we watched Brett Beatty at the major league level, and it was a short period of time. So for those of us who were just watching Met games, we saw a guy who defensively is not very good. Is that a fair representation of what he really is? Can he be a better defensive third baseman? How do you evaluate him defensively? Yes, he can be a better defensive third baseman. And there was actually a lot of growth from him this year defensively at the minor league level. Uh, like you said, very small sample size at the big league level. It, 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 takes a, it takes a little time for a guy that when he was drafted back coming out of high school, the projections was this guy is going to end up at first base. And he wanted mm. to basically def- defy what all the scouts and the experts and the pundits said. And he's worked very hard. Um, lateral quickness is not his best friend, but that's really what's, I think, going to hold him back from being a premium defensive third baseman. Uh, he has plenty of arm for the position. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he was a pitcher in high school, uh, actually high school football teammates with Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson. So they were, yeah, so there's a little Met Jet connection for you there, but he played quarterback there and uh, he also pitched and was up to 93 or 94 on the gun in high school. So he's got arm. um, He's got good hands. It's the lateral quickness that I think holds him back from being a very good defensive third baseman. But I think he could be passable. I can see a lot of scenarios over the next few years, because obviously if he hits, he plays. There's no question whether it's DH third base, he hits, he plays. I can see a lot of scenarios where he makes the most sense in the outfield. And we've seen this a lot over the last few years. Infielders of the New York Mets becoming outfielders at the major league level, whether it's the attempt with Dominic Smith, whether it's even Jeff McNeil, we've seen a lot of it. Do you think he can become an average defensive left fielder if circumstances sort of lead to that being his best positional fit for this team? So he did play some left field in the minor leagues as well. Uh, When him and Mark Vientos were both with double A Binghamton, 
for a minute there, like a month or so, they were alternating almost daily who played left and who played third. And Beatty was better at both. Vientos. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah. Vientos essentially might as well look like he's never taken a fly ball in his life in the outfield. <laughs> so uh, I don't think he has a future in the outfield. Beatty could be a passable left fielder, and he has enough arm, like I mentioned, for the spot. So there is some flexibility there. It's funny you say that about Vientos because the impression I got was Buck Showalter hated Mark Vientos. And I got that based on some of the comments he made, like specifically when he was asked about Vientos being called up before he was called up. He made a comment about what has he done that's so great, almost implying like forget the offense. What about his defense? And then when he was up here, he never played him in the field, never once. So is he obviously you mentioned Beatty's better at third base and left field. Does he have, if he can hit any position future, or is he just likely to be a DH if he ever can hit consistently at the major league level? He's a first base DH, and I've thought this for going on a couple of years now, that he would be a first base DH at the next level. And, and I do think he could hit. I don't know what the deal was with the Mets this year, and not necessarily just a buck thing, but it was clear that something didn't click i don't know what it was but vientos more than warranted the call up based on how he was performing at the triple a level especially that he destroys left-handed pitching right and when the mets got daniel vogel back there was like we forget that was kind of early july so that was there was a gap between that and the deadline and everyone said all right well they they need to go find a right-handed compliment for him at the deadline i was screaming on my podcast just let Vientos play for right. a couple weeks and see if you could save prospects or whatever you have to trade to get a right-handed compliment. They didn't do it. And then they overpaid for Darren Ruff, who stunk, obviously. <laughs> and yes. at that at that point, I don't know if they were trying to justify the trade and what they gave up or everything by keep throwing Ruff out there or just figuring the veteran would figure it out. But it was a weird year for Vientos, and it has me questioning how the Mets feel about him for the long term. How, you know, we saw Alvarez get the call up very, very late, and there was certainly an argument to bring him up earlier, just as a right-handed DH. But defensively, are they nervous about his ability to kind of have that great relationship with pitchers? Are they concerned about his overall defense? Are they concerned by pitch framing? Like, where are the levels of concern and confidence with Alvarez defensively? We know what he could potentially do offensively. That's why I don't even bother asking. But defensively, what's the feel for him? Uh, Pitch framing and blocking balls in the dirt, those are things that he does need some work on. Um, But one thing that I I always like to note when I talk about Alvarez's defense, I don't think he's ever winning a gold glove and that's fine. Like he doesn't need to be Yachty Molina, right? He just can't be Gary Sanchez. Like right. he, he, if he could hang out somewhere in the middle, the bat will play enough for at the work. He has a cannon of an arm. Um, so that's, that's the positive on the defensive side works really hard from the pitchers. I talked to in the minor leagues. They think he's very prepared. He stays on top of the game plan. He helped, he does English and Spanish. So he's kind of helping out, uh, helping out there, but he's only 20 years old. Like most 20 year old catchers are in low A, not even like the equivalent of Port St. Lucie. And he made the major leagues based largely on his bat. So his defense is kind of at the level of, let's call it double A, but his bat is major league ready. So it's a tough, it's a tough balance when you think about the 2023 team. Yeah. Do you think 
that because you mentioned the cannon of an arm and there was a time I know growing up as a baseball fan I would always view mm-hmm. defense from a catcher based on their ability to throw base runners out and that sort of kind of went away because yeah. guys just don't steal as much it's just not as it's not as important now it's more about pitch framing things like that do you think with the bigger bases and the rule changes in baseball coming you've got the limit of how many times you could pick a guy off you've got the bigger bases like I mentioned do you think that Base running becomes a bigger thing, and Alvarez's cannon almost becomes a bigger weapon. I do, and I think the whole purpose of baseball is they want there to be more stolen bases. They want to, in theory, bring more some more excitement into the game. So if you can't throw, like when you mentioned growing up watching baseball, you thought a catcher being good or bad was based on throwing. The first thing I thought of is we all thought Mike Piazza couldn't play catcher. Yes, because, because of that. he. Yeah, he would hit a. It looked like he was going to hit a pitcher when he was trying to throw a, a guy out at second. Right. Uh, but he was good at pitch framing and blocking and all that. Like modern day, people would like Piazza as a defensive catcher. Uh, but definitely, I think the new rules will be advantageous for the catchers that can throw. Uh, but yes, Alvarez needs to continue to work on his pitch framing, his blocking, and just kind of his mobility. I mean, you you see what he looks like. He's not going to be the most mobile person in the world. He's kind of built like a little bowling ball. Yeah, I I assume that these guys aren't being traded in, in the course of this conversation. Obviously, you never know when a trade's going to go down. Shohei Otani can walk through that door, and the Mets may give up three or four of top prospects. But when they drafted Parada, is that how you pronounce it, by the way, Kevin Parada, yeah. the catcher they drafted? Yep. All right. yep. When they draft him, and you know that he's close, he's not a guy that you're going to wait five years on like Jet Williams is. My thought was, okay, what? Is, how do they view this? Are they viewing this as Alvarez's long-term at DH? Are they viewing this as Parada moves positions? So from what you've seen from Parada, from what you've heard of Parada, is he the long-term catcher or is Alvarez the long-term catcher? It's a great question. I think the the thought process behind the draft pick was, I mean, I do mock drafts and everything for SNY, and I follow this and talk to people throughout the league. I couldn't find a single person that would tell me that Kevin Prado was going outside the top five picks. Why exactly he fell? Um, kind of up for debate. Some people questioning the defense long-term at catcher, uh, but he not quite like Alvarez is a good athlete behind the plate. So there's some thought that maybe Parada would be someone that could switch positions down the road. But when it comes to drafting, I think, you know, we talk about it when you talk about the NFL draft and things like that, it's just, get the best player that you can. And Kevin Parada kind of fell in their lap. They took him. And if the absolute worst case scenario is, oh no, we have two awesome catchers, like you're you're in a better spot than a lot of teams. So they they just took the best talent. So how far away is he? I know he played a handful yeah. of games at single A. Yeah. Uh, he's 21 years old. Like what's a realistic expectation of when he could make the majors? most college players, if they go on kind of a normal trajectory, it's about two years. So like I would expect Parada to open with high A Brooklyn, maybe make a double A Binghamton by the end of the summer. And then kind of depending on how late he gets there, he could start 2023 in double A or triple A. So uh, I expect them to be advanced. The bat is great. The pitch recognition skills are plus plus, um, like he draws walks, doesn't swing at bad stuff. Um, and they've already cleaned up some of his swing mechanics because if you watch some of his tape from Georgia Tech, um, we're on camera. The other pe- the people watching aren't, but he kind of held his bat like he was like those uh, people that are leaving with like a bag and a stick over their shoulder. Like right. it looked like he was just holding the bat back like this, and 
it they already kind of like brought his bat up and changed his elbow angle and they're, they're already working hard and uh, the Mets player development system is taking a big step forward uh, in, in a lot of things and they've made some key hires for that and Parada I think is going to be a big beneficiary of it. All right. The ultimate question with Ronnie Mauricio would be if he's not traded, where's he playing? Is it third base? Is it the outfield? He's hitting very well in winter league, which is great to see. That's fantastic. I, I I've always had this feeling that they're going to just use him as a trade chip and not necessarily for a mediocre player, but maybe for some star that becomes available. But if that's not the case, if he's here long-term, where's his position? I think he's an outfielder, and I've campaigned for that for a while. Um, and he's actually playing third base right now down in the Dominican Winter League because O'Neal Cruz joined the team, and he's obviously going to play shortstop. Um, so they actually reached out to the Mets and asked if it was okay that he plays third. Mets said, sure, that's fine. I think he is an outfielder. He has enough arm to probably play third if you want, but he's kind of like a bigger guy and – I don't, I don't think the, like, the lateral quickness isn't quite there. I think you see him in the outfield where he is athletic, and I think he'll be better when the movements are kind of like bigger. Like He could go gap to gap and you know cover some ground in the outfield. Um, and I've actually always kind of been the low guy on Mauricio, at least amongst the public, and it feels like people are starting to catch up to me a little bit now. Uh, but I've almost wondered if I've even taken it a little too far. I think the power is very legitimate. He's filled out his frame. He makes really good contact. Uh, the walk rate, it might just never come. And that's okay. Like, I think I've, as I've evaluated him throughout his trek through the Mets minors, I've always just said the walk rate is what's going to hold him back. The pitch recognition skills are going to hold him back. And maybe it caps his ceiling a little bit, but Javi Baez swings at everything, <laughs> right, right? Right. So like, I, I think it's, it's okay nowadays. Not everyone has to be Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil and Mark Canna, these guys that work these counts. But if he could make kind of baby step improvements on his pitch recognition skills, where it's, he's not chasing so much, I think he'll get pitches to hit and the power's there. Yeah. I mean, you can make up for it, but I feel like nowadays yeah. there's almost a penalty for not yeah. walking enough that, <laughs> And it's funny because 25 years ago, we wouldn't look at it the same way. There were so many yeah. guys that didn't walk that much. And it was, hey, not a big deal. He's sitting 310. All right, we'll live with that. Yeah. So it's it sort of changed. When Here's what I'm curious about with him. So he's at double A last year for most mm -hmm. of the season. So logic would say he either starts the year at triple A or maybe it's more time at double A. And they hadn't changed his position yet. He has still been a shortstop. Now, obviously, Francisco Lindor is not going anywhere. The Mets locked him up to a long-term deal. So, and a lot of guys come up as shortstops. We've seen it. I remember Edgardo Alfonso was a shortstop in the minor. Juan Ligaris. Jones. Juan Ligaris. Hey, that's a great yeah. example. So eventually guys move. When do you move them though? Like, aren't we at the point now at 21 years old at playing at double A that the move would be now? The move should have been this year. I firmly believe they should at least have let him dabble in other spots. If they wanted his primary position to be shortstop. So that way he continues to develop as a hitter. I would have been okay with that. But the fact that he just didn't play anywhere at all bothered me. Uh, so I think the time should have been this year. It, then it definitely has to be this coming year. Uh, if So if he's, if he's coming to camp in St. Lucie in a couple months and he's still with the Mets, he's not traded for anything this off season. I would very, very much like to see him taking outfield reps. Take some third base reps too, but I, I, that's where I would really focus.
But by the way, the one thing I'll ask about with a trade is I remember at the deadline, there was a lot of pushback to, well, can't you can't trade a top prospect for David Robertson. You can't trade a top prospect for this. If they trade Ronnie Mauricio during the offseason, what kind of player would be okay to take back? Like, I understand yeah, yeah. a relief pitcher like Robertson, that's ah, not enough. Okay, 21-year-old shortstop. We know his ceiling. We know the warts. What's the kind of player that for you, you'd say, okay, that's a that's a good enough return for a prospect of his caliber? Can I get a number four starter for Mauricio and, you know, a single A kid with some upside, something like that? I, like, let's just say you sign Jacob deGrom or you sign Justin Verlander or Carlos Rodon. You sign, you sign one of the premium free agent starters to pair with Max up at the top. And Kodai Senga doesn't work out. Chris Bassett doesn't work out. You don't really want Taiwan Walker back, I don't think. Not that bad, at least. Then you look into the trade market. I don't know exactly what's going to be out there, but I find it hard to believe that the Mets' entire offseason is going to be solely free agency, right? Well, I- I'll give you a guy. I'll give you an example that I think fits what you're describing, and my reaction would be no, but maybe you say yes to it. Would you trade Ronnie Mauricio for Pablo Lopez of the Marlins? Yeah, I think I actually would. You uh, would? Pablo? Wow. Yeah. Right. I like Pablo Lopez a lot. The thing is, we're Mets fans, me and you, Evan. So we just watched the Mets beat the ever-loving heck out of Pablo Lopez every time he takes the mound against That's us. A good point. He's, ve- a good point. he's very good against everybody else. So, yeah, actually, if you told me I could get Pablo Lopez, I'd be actually be about that. Okay. No, because that that fit what you said. Yeah. A back, basically yeah. a back-of-the-rotation guy. Does, right. Is he too, he's 6'2", six, 6'3", six, he's a tall kid. He's fast. Mm-hmm. He's a good athlete. Do you think that could translate to center field, or do you think it need, would need to be a corner outfield spot for Mauricio? I would... I would start in center for sure. I would start in center. And then if that doesn't work out, you can shift to the corner. It's much easier to do it that way than do the opposite, right? Putting him in left and saying, oh, now we're going to shift you to center. All right, let's talk uh, some pitching because they have a lot of, unless what I've read, they've got pitching prospects, but further away. Guys that may not contribute for a couple of years. And pitching depth's important. Guys get hurt, you're going to need guys. Right now, when you look at the young pitchers in their system, we saw Jose Budo for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. It was not good. It was very, yeah. very unimpressive that day in Philadelphia. It's mm-hmm. a great game because the Mets came back and yeah. won, so everybody was happy. Yes. But we'll start with Budo. Who else? Who are the other young arms that I'm talking about this season? There are injuries. This guy may come in and make a spot start. Who are we talking about? Uh, Jose Budo. Like that, that's pretty much who we're talking that's about. It? There's, Nobody there's, else. Right now, there is not much at the upper levels of the minors to be excited about. Like, I'm sure there's going to sign guys to minor league deals, and there's always people that kind of emerge a little bit. But Jose Buto is the one I have my eye on. You know, he had that one start cameo in Philly. I was at uh, one of my friend's son's baptisms. So, like, I was following my phone. I'm like, oh my God, Jose Buto is getting absolutely shelled right now. Uh, <laughs> But he, he went back to AAA, which he was kind of fresh to AAA when he got called up. He got called kind of out of necessity. And he had a 1.05 ERA the rest of the season in AAA. So I actually think he has a chance to be good there. Um, but the depth for the rotation, like that's why you're seeing the trades for the Elias or Hernandez types. And you're going to see, I think you're going to see more moves like that. The Mets are going to be shopping at the top of the market for things, but I think it's also a focus for them to improve the floor of their 40-man roster because they're, like you said, you're going to need eight, nine, ten starters to get through a season, and you don't want to see Jared Eikhoff. 
Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so the other starting pitchers, like the Mike mm-hmm. Vassil, is it Vassil Va- or Vassil? Va- Vassil. Mike Vassil. There you go. Yep. Got to get it right because by the time he's yep. in the majors, I won't be effing that yep. up. I, yep. Mike Vassil, Calvin Ziegler, Dominic mm-hmm. Hamill. Those mm-hmm. are some names I've read about. Are those guys yep. a couple of years away? Give us a quick synopsis on some of those guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, so I actually have... Hamill as my second highest pitching prospect in the system behind Blade Tidwell, which what a name, the Mets second round pick from last year. Um, yeah. So I remember but, they just drafted yeah. him. So I assume yeah. he's even yeah. further away, right? Yeah. He's a little further away, but he's, he's very, very talented. Would have been a first round type prospect, but he uh, had shoulder tendonitis and missed most, most of the college season. Uh, but Hamill was their third round pick in the 2021 class where they didn't sign Kumar Rocker. And he's, emerged in a big way when he got promoted from St. Lucie to Brooklyn. More often than not, when you see pitchers take a step up, their production is at best kind of even or maybe a little a, a tick back until they adjust. Like Dom went to the next level and was even better right out of the gate. He won the organizational pitcher of the year. Uh, he's considered, I, I was told by scouts when they drafted him, that he's a spin rate monster. Just everything he mm. throws is huge spin rates, uh, huge breaking stuff. Like his curveball is almost Seth Lugo like. And when I have evaluated him, I think he probably profiles a bit as like a number number four type starter. Or if his command doesn't quite fully catch up, he could end up a Seth Lugo type of reliever. Uh, he should start in Double A. I think he's going to be close. Uh, Vassal, the, the other name you mentioned, I think he'll follow him to double A. Uh, he had an impressive showing in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, he's a guy that you have to go way back to think of kind of where his talent stems from. Uh, when he was in high school, he was considered a top 25 prospect in that draft class total, including college, high school, everything. He was a top 25 guy. Uh, he decided to take his name out of the draft to attend the University of Virginia, where they decided you're going to stop being a four-seam fastball curveball guy. You're going to be a sinker slider guy. Stopped missing bats in college, was ineffective with his control, fell to the eighth round. The Mets took him, and they said, well, we're giving you back the four-seam fastball and curveball, and all of a sudden, seems like something has been unlocked with him. So the Mets believe they got a steal with him. Those guys should be in double A, which I think put them, you know, I guess maybe optimistically it could be later this year, like kind of like Tyler McGill had that type of rise from double A up to the major leagues within one season. But I would look right. at them more as 2024 options. Yeah, I guess when I hear double A, because as soon as you said that, I'm thinking, all right, yeah. if they pitch really, really well, they yeah. definitely get on that radar and make a yeah. spot start late in the year. And guys, I guess will be screaming for them. Like, let's see the kid. Let's see that instead of the 35 year old veteran you happen to claim off waivers before that. Is. Yeah, I ju- yeah, I just don't uh I try to not bank on exceptional exceptional performance. I try to just right. follow like a normal development trajectory, but certainly if Dom Hamill continues the kind of growth that he did from St. Lucie to Brooklyn up to Binghamton, 
he could very much be in the conversation. Is Matt Allen, who has not pitched in three years, I mean, we've heard his name Mm -hmm. for so long, but 2020 didn't pitch, 2021, 2022, which is crazy. I mean, he's had three years where he hasn't faced minor league competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is he still looked at as a top-line prospect, and what are the expectations? I assume it's going to take a while since he hasn't faced minor league pitching in a while. He has a ton to prove, uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's an absolute ton he has to prove. When he got drafted, they drafted him in the third round um, in the same draft that they took Brett Beatty in the first. And I had Matt Allen as a higher-ranked prospect in the draft than I did Brett Beatty. And Allen fell due to signability. Boris's camp floated a really big number. Nobody seemed to want to touch it. The Mets eventually... The Mets had a relationship with him and realized that he would sign for a number lower than what was being reported. And they figured it out. They signed them whole deal. And he actually, which was very rare at the time, a high school kid pitched in Brooklyn, which at that time, Brooklyn was basically exclusively college seniors and people of that age. He went and pitched in the championship game to help them win the New York Penn League championship the last year of the New York Penn League. Uh, So Definitely an advanced talent, but then COVID happens. The 2020 minor league season just doesn't happen. Canceled. No minor league baseball. Then he reports to camp, needs Tommy John surgery, misses the year, reports to camp again this year, needs nerve transposition surgery, which mm. is kind of a common, like a not crazy uncommon like follow-up to Tommy John, but it usually actually happens during the Tommy John recovery, so we don't hear about it. Like it's kind of like a follow up in the middle of things. He kind of had a year later and that wiped out this past season. Uh, So despite the talent and everything, I always caution when I write them up and I talk about them, the talent on paper is there. I need to see them. I'm still going to rank them in my top 10, just sheer, sheerly on upside. Uh, But I need to see him pitch because he's thrown 10 and a third professional innings and he got drafted in 2019. And we're about to enter 2023. Uh, But the expectation is he should be ready for spring training. And then at that point, the the development trajectory, you have to imagine they'd be patient with him on an innings count, at least in his first year. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a long road for Matt Allen. But given his age, oddly, if he were to start in, say, Brooklyn and be in high A, he really would be like a year behind like a quote unquote normal development for that level. So right. he's not crazy far behind, but he's got to, he's got to get going. Now, I was thinking about what you're saying. Like what kind of innings limit do you put on a kid that hasn't pitched in three years? Like we want to be restricted. A hundred, a hundred, a hundred, 110, maybe like yeah. something like that would be my guess. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, Alex yeah. Ramirez, mm-hmm. is he the center fielder or, left fielder, right fielder of the future for this team. He's 19. He played at single A last year. I've heard his name a lot only because it seems like his name is always mentioned in any kind of trade rumor, like Alex Ramirez in a deal for Shohei Otani. Alex Ramirez in this deal. Uh, How do you view him? Oh, he's a big-time emerging prospect. He was a a huge international signing a couple years back, and he is the only prospect in the system that – shows a semblance of all five tools. He's not a five-tool player. He's not Mike Trout, whatever, but he can hit for some average. His power took a big step up this year. His pitch recognition skills took a step up this year. He can run. 
He can play center field. I truly believe he doesn't have to be a corner guy. He could if you want him to be, but I think he can be a center fielder. He's a guy that is right now entering the back end of top 100 lists, kind of in the public world. And I think they're late to the party of him being a top 100 prospect. I think he's probably closer to like a top 50 guy right now with potential to be in the conversation of top 10, top 15 type prospect in baseball when we talk again this time next year. I saw his numbers at both St. Lucie and Brooklyn were solid. Does that yeah. mean he he actually starts at double A or do they give him a full season at single A this year? I would guess he would start in Brooklyn. I think he would I think he'd repeat the structure like if you look back in 2021, finished in St. Lucie and then he started again in St. Lucie and then he got called up to Brooklyn. I right. would bet on him starting in Brooklyn and getting the call up to Binghamton at some point during the season assuming he continues to perform. That's exciting because even if Brandon Nimmo is back long-term, Brandon Nimmo is Mm -hmm. probably not playing center field, let's say, two years from now. I mean, a lot of times you see center fielders just eventually move to a corner outfield spot, just the way it is. So is he fair to look at as that's our center fielder in a couple of years, no matter the future of Brandon Nimmo? I think that is not crazy unreasonable. You know, I I know that I do the prospect thing, but I I try to balance the whole this guy is this, right? Because there's there's a lot of room there uh, for things to not quite work as planned. But I think you can look at Alex Ramirez as a potential long-term center, f- center fielder for this team. And if it's a couple of years from now, that lines up with Mark Canna kind of being out the door. Brandon Nimmo could shift over to left field, like you said. Marte will be kind of ending his contract. And then, you know, Ramirez could be a guy for center field. I, I truly believe if we were to have this conversation a year from now today, Alex Ramirez will be a top 20, top 15 prospect in baseball. What is the intellectual reason? Because when I saw it, it didn't make any sense. So I'm sure you're going to give mm-hmm. me a smart reason for why Jake Mangum wasn't protected from the Rule 5 draft. Why they left him to be available to any team to take. Why did that happen in your opinion? I had a lot of questions about this myself. I thought... It was a no-brainer to protect him. Uh, there's no outfield depth in this organization at the upper levels. I mean, Khalil Lee is a guy that they had hopes for, and he has disappointed in more ways than one for them. So that, you know, Khalil Lee's not, I don't think, a big factor for this team going forward. We saw what Nick Plummer is and, like, whatever. He kind of belongs in AAA. Jake Mangum's a guy that, from Mississippi State, SEC powerhouse program, the all-time hits leader in SEC can play all three outfield spots. Like you said, you follow me on Twitter. You probably saw me post all these videos of him making diving catches and robbing balls. Yes, uh, that's, yeah. that's why I was yeah. like, yeah. hey, at least he's a defensive replacement late on this team next year. And now yeah. all of a sudden he may be taken. The, the thought from people that I talk to is they don't know that he will get selected because he, he basically doesn't have any power. and. Uh. I, I mean that in a nice way, but he's he's a kind of a contact hitter. He's he's developed a little more thump than in college where he was just a pure slap hitter, but there's no power in his game really. He's just a bat to ball defense guy. He's not even not like a massive OB on base guy, but I think he looks like a guy that I would have as the Mets like fourth or fifth outfielder on opening day, and I wouldn't yes. even frown upon it. Uh but now we'll see next week at the winter meetings if he gets picked. Uh I read uh a rule five preview from baseball America. Cause I'm into the rule five draft to a degree, 
but they're really into the rule five draft where they write <laughs> previews with like a dozen plus plus players who could get selected. And Mangum did not make that article. So let's just be quiet about it and hope that no one's listening and he sneaks through and he gets to stay with the Mets. And uh, I would, if he does not get taken in the rule five draft, I would, I would bet good money that you'd see him with the Mets at some point in 23. I mean, it makes sense just on paper for the way the roster may be constructed to start the season. I, I have a bias towards Jet Williams for two reasons. Number one, my son's name is Jet, yeah. so he's very excited about the fact that there may be a Met with his same name down the road. And B, who doesn't love a guy that's like five foot three? Now I know he's he's more than five foot three. He's like five yeah. foot seven, five yeah, foot eight, yeah. whatever he's listed yeah. at. <laughs> he's like our version of Jose Altuve. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that who he projects to be? That'd be pretty cool. Is it David uh, yeah. Eckstein? Like, what other short person should we compare Jet Williams to when he gets to the major leagues in a couple of years? Man, uh, it's tough to compare him to the other short gods, but uh, I, what I could tell you is Jet Williams was my favorite player in the draft, and I cover the MLB draft extensively for SNY. Um, I mean, someone's got to do it, so I do it. Uh, <laughs> but But I love the MLB draft. It's something that I've been into since – the Mets almost got Justin Verlander out of Old Dominion and ended up with Phil Umber out of Rice instead. Mm. Like that's the first MLB draft of my recollection. Uh, but Jet was my favorite player in this draft. Wasn't like the top of my board, like most talented player. But man, this is a kid that he's a baseball rat. He's an all hustle player. Like there's not a game that he played that his jersey wasn't covered in dirt. Like he's going, you know, balls to the wall all the time. And the best part, he swings. Uh, he went to the area code games, which is one of the showcases. And he had the hardest or the fastest swing speed of any of the high school players that were there. And that's Drew Jones is there. Um, Elijah Green is there. And Tamar Johnson, these are guys that went in the top five of the draft. Those guys are all there. Jet had faster swing speed. But then when you look at his performance in the games, he doesn't swing and miss. Mm. He swings hard. It makes contact with everything. I don't think power is going to be a huge part of his game. I think his size kind of limits to what that can what can that can really produce. Like I don't think he's a twenty home run guy, but I think he's going to make contact. I think he's going to play second or center long term. I think he fits really well at both those spots. Um, he could probably play shortstop if you really wanted him to, uh, but I think second or, or, or center are better fits. And yeah, love Jet Williams. I have him ranked really high in the system and. Uh, I think if he continues his development, he's the type of player that Met fans will like absolutely fall in love with. Oh, the way you described him. I mean, no doubt. Yeah. I think we're already in love with him. He hasn't even gotten to yeah. the majors yet. Where does he start the year, you think? St. Lucie. So he'll St. start Lucy. in St. Lucie. Yeah, normal for a high school kid. And, uh, you know, just, just see how it goes. But, you know, I'll be watching plenty of his games this year. So it's weird. You've got Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos. They all have a chance to be on the major league roster, specifically Beatty and Alvarez. We'll see about Vientos. Mm-hmm. So you've mm-hmm. got your top, top prospects graduating where they're not prospects anymore. They're just going to be major leaguers. and We're going to find out what they are. Where does the Mets system rank in the whole grand scheme of things? Is this a top 15 system? Is this a bottom half system? Like, how do you yeah. look at where this thing ranks? They still need to improve their depth, but the top of the system matches up with a lot of organizations in baseball. And uh, if you're, if we're talking present day where those guys are still prospects, it's probably like a top 
seven or so system in the sport, you wow. take Alvarez, you take Beatty, you take Vientos out. It probably drops to like 15 to 17. Um, but upside, I mean, when you're talking about, like you mentioned Calvin Ziegler briefly, if he takes a step forward, he's supremely talented. If Matt Allen just comes out and it's just like, well, I missed a bunch of time, but there's a reason why I was a mid first round draft prospect that fell like that can kind of elevate the things. And they have, other young players at the lower levels like Simone Juan, who was a big uh, international signing just a year ago. So there's 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 pieces there. They need to continue to improve that depth, which I think it takes years to bounce back from what the likes of Brody Van Wagenen and Zach Scott and those guys did that traded away the guys that you and I didn't maybe not didn't care about at the time. But it comes back to bite you a couple years later when you're these guys like you asked me where's this guy going to start? All right, well, now that guy's out of the picture. So now it kind of trickles down from there. So when you trade those guys, there's nothing wrong with doing it when you're trying to win. I'm certainly not saying keep your prospects, uh, but it takes years to build that depth back up when you trade so many of them, especially when you're getting like Keon Broxton for guys. Right, like, right. On. Yeah. No, I get that. I, You know, I think back to, to my time as a fan, there's been a few occasions in which I've been upset when they've traded prospects because maybe I've, mm-hmm. I've heard of them or I was following them. Uh, the Scott Casimir is everybody. So I kind of leave that one aside. Yeah. Oddly enough. And I was talking to a friend about this recently. Trading Preston Wilson was very difficult, even though they were getting Mike Piazza. Yeah, Mike Piazza. Yeah. But yeah, it's Preston Wilson. It's Mookie's son. Has there yeah. been a prospect over the last, you know, basically your entire life. You could pick anybody mm-hmm. where you were like, oh my God, we're trading him. I love this kid. This I've been watching him. I really believe in him. And it doesn't mean the guy turned into anything, but was there one that really sticks out with you? I thought, so we'll go back to the Johan Santana trade. Mm. And Carlos Gomez was the headlining piece. That was fine. They had Fernando Martinez. They didn't need Carlos Gomez. We were fine <laughs> there. Um, Phil Umber, whatever he went. I was convinced that Diolis Guerra, was going to be like a mid-rotation type of starter. And I'll tell you, the guy was in the big leagues like last year. So like he's hung around forever, but yeah. he just never he never kind of fulfilled his potential. Uh, but he was someone that at the time I thought really, really highly of. And obviously Jared Kelnick's the most recent example and um, loved him coming out of the draft. And, you know, he gets moved within months of being drafted. And Pete Crow Armstrong, I think, has a chance to come back and bite them in a, in a couple of years. That trade was moronic. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I would, I always circle back to Diolis Guerra and that's staying away from a lot of the big names, just someone that was kind of under the radar that I was a fan of. No, I get it. I get it. Well, we'll see. Hopefully they don't trade any. Is there one right now that would bother you? You know, one where you'd say, don't just, I get it. You got to trade for Otani. I get it. You got to trade for this guy, but I don't want to move him. So I'll keep Alvarez and Beatty out of the discussion because they feel like almost big league pieces at this point. If they trade Alex Ramirez, I feel like they would have traded him maybe a year too early in the Mm. sense of if you're talking about like getting a superstar, like if you wait a year, I think Alvarez is a, I'm sorry, Ramirez is a top 15, 20 prospect in the sport where he's headlining a deal for a superstar instead of being the secondary piece because now he's like a back end top 100 guy. So Ramirez would make me mad. And Jet Williams was my favorite player in the draft, so don't you dare trade Jet Williams. Hey, I'm with you. Amen. Yeah. We, can't, we cannot have Jet Williams not be a part of the New York Mets in the next couple Jet of years. Jet the Met. 
Can't, can't have it. Jet the Met, man. Yeah. You got yeah. it. Can't happen. Well, Joe, I appreciate it. Uh, we could check out Joe DeMeo on the Mets pod. Does a great job with SNY. At PSL to Flushing is your Twitter account still, which is a great name, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you cover the minors, it starts in Port St. Lucie, ends at Flushing. At one point before I got with SNY and other things, I had a website, stlucytoflushing.com, and I wrote stuff on my own. And uh, slowly I've made it to, to where I am, but I will not forget where I came from. So the Twitter handle will stay. That is my thing. PSL to Flushing to Cooperstown. That's yes. the ultimate right there. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Joe DeMeo, everybody.